Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an incredible conversation to share with you. I just had the opportunity to speak with a man named Sean Kelly. Sean is a young man, but he has a lot of success on his side already. He started a company called Jersey Champs when he was a freshman in college, uh, and that led to him dropping out and pursuing his entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, He had a lot of success during the pandemic selling PPE gear and other things like that. Uh, And most recently, he has launched an NFT project called Chibi Dinos. This was the primary focus of our conversation today and really the the primary reason I wanted to have him on the show uh, since I myself minted uh, a Chibi Dinos, my very first NFT purchase. And I've been following the project closely. And Sean, I believe, is an innovator in this space. I think he's a visionary in uh, the world of NFTs and what these things could become and the community around it. And uh, I picked his brain in rapid fire uh, form throughout this interview, asking him about his experience with that company, the founding of it, sort of the foundation of his skills and talents and where he sees the NFT world going in the future. I had a ton of fun uh, during this conversation. I got a lot of my questions answered. Sean is a really interesting, knowledgeable guy. I'm sure you're going to like it as well. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Sean Kelly. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So for the audience out there, if they are not familiar with your background and all the projects that you're working on, would you mind sharing with them in your own words what it is that you do and how you got started in this direction? Yeah, for sure. So I started in e-commerce about five years ago, just selling jerseys out of my college dorm room at Rutgers. And then did that for about four or five years. And then now I'm transitioning more to the crypto side of things. And I recently launched an NFT project. So that's been a big focus of mine. But uh, I was able to kind of intermingle the companies and we're also doing jerseys with NFTs. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was one thing that sort of struck me originally when I learned about the, so the NFT project is called Chibi Dinos. And I'm really excited to hear about sort of the origin story there. But one thing that struck me is that I've noticed throughout, you know, these different projects that you've worked on is kind of the overlap and the, uh, the ability for each one to complement the next in sort of that skill stacking to really play in your favor, which is, you know, I think such an unbelievable way to leverage a skill set, especially these days is more powerful than ever. But let's take it back to the start. Would you uh, walk us through sort of, you know, you're a freshman at Rutgers and you're diving mm-hmm. into entrepreneurship. I mean, personally, I'm a college dropout. I dropped out my freshman year um, to you know pursue business, sales, things like that. There's sort of a dichotomy there between pursuing the education through the institutional method versus you know going out on your own and starting on your own. What was it for you that sparked that entrepreneurial flame that you know got you started there? 
Yeah, I think I definitely had it in me for a while because I was always, you know, selling candy in school and stuff growing up. And I played RuneScape and I was a merchant there. Uh, throwback to RuneScape. But yeah, I always had that mindset of, you know, buying and selling, making a profit. And in Rutgers, so I didn't get into the business school because my GPA wasn't high enough. Um, so I was trying to transfer in, but I kept failing uh, pre-calc, which you needed to pass to get in. And uh, it just pissed me off so much. I think I failed it like twice in a row. And at the time I was doing the Jersey stuff, which we got to about a hundred grand in sales or so. So I just made the decision to drop out and go full time. But I, at the same time, I never stopped learning. I was always self-learning, studying courses, YouTube videos, books, and, and all that stuff. Excellent. Was there any resistance for you? Did you have a challenging, you know, was there challenging conversations? Was it, uh, you know, what was that like to dive into the unknown? You know, I know personally for me, you know, the situation is you get a lot of strange looks from, you know, friends, family, people expect you to stay in college. They think you might be a failure. Otherwise it sort of takes a little bit of uh, extra persistence to battle through that stuff at first. What was it like for you? Yeah, definitely a lot of strange looks. Uh, like even my own family. Um, I mean, it's not a normal thing to just drop out and, and run a business and, I'd assume most of the time that doesn't work. So yeah, the numbers weren't in my favor, but I just worked super hard. I mean, once they saw my work ethic and saw I was really trying, um, my family started fully supporting it. And um, yeah, friends, you know, not a lot of people knew I was doing it too, which I believe helped. Because if I told the whole world I was doing a company and dropping out, like I probably would have been roasted all over social media. So that definitely alleviated some pressure, but uh yeah, it was it was quite the journey because I had committed to a year apartment. So I had to find a sublease and then I had to drop out. And at Rutgers, they made you pay, even though um, even if you drop out, you got to pay a certain amount. So, wow. Well, I commend you for that, uh, that effort. I think you mentioned something super important is that you didn't stop learning. You continued learning through YouTube books and all sorts of other means. That's really, you know, the spirit of this podcast is self-education and the value of doing so. And you also mentioned, you know, how you might've got roasted on social media if you did blast it far and wide. <laughs> how did you, what was, where did social media come from in your life? Like, where did you start to understand the game of social media and dominate it? Yeah, social media, I have a unique take on it. I mean, I was never big on it in high school or anything like a lot of kids these days are. Um, and I didn't really care to post, like even to this day, I only post like twice a year on my Instagram. But I was just able to find a way to leverage it to network and to make money off it. And the way I see Instagram is it's like one of the best outreaching tools for me since I'm verified and have followers there. So I'll use it daily and always reach out to, you know, influencers or people that can help me expand my business. And um, yeah, I was able to just literally DM my way to the top in terms of getting influencers for Jersey Champs. I started just DMing micro influencers, nano influencers, worked my way up to some celebrities and a ton of NBA players now for Chibi Dinos. So that was just a, a complete snowball effect. So starting with raw, you know, low follower accounts, people that will answer you and just working your way up through the ranks. Yeah. Well, the most important thing is getting that blue check, I think, because as soon as I got that, my response rate, you know, shot up tremendously. As weird as that sounds, people really care about that blue check. Hey, no, it makes sense. It's social proof, right? It's people seeing that, you know, other people in the community, the, the 
platform itself has acknowledged you as a real person or a real thing and, and what you're doing is real. So where did that come from? How did you get to that threshold? Yeah. So that happened because we made national, <coughs> sorry, you're getting a little sick. Um, that happened because we made national headlines in 2016, I believe. We were selling a Trump jersey at the time on Jersey Champs, actually. And it was our top seller, as controversial as he is. Um, and someone wore it at a high school football game, and then the principal kicked him out of the game just for wearing it. So that made it onto Fox News, CNN, everywhere. And then Jersey Champs got verified, and then the next week I got it. So it just comes from the press, I believe. Wow, that's fascinating. What an interesting story and a great way to ride the uh, sort of topical political hysteria of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Uh, uh, yeah, we were selling like Obama jerseys. We even tried a Clinton one. No, not a Clinton, a Bernie Sanders one. But that one didn't sell at all. So we removed it right away. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to hear what would sell. So you'd think that something like that would, um, you know, he's a very popular candidate at the time as well. Mm-hmm. What is a uh, so you know, you take the, the success at Jersey champs and, you know, you you have that momentum, you have that snowball, you have the social media impact. Where did NFTs come from? When was your first introduction to crypto and, and then in NFTs? Yeah. So I've actually been in crypto since college, but I paper handed most of it or else I'd be chilling right now, but (laughs) got back into it. You and me both. Yeah. So many people got back into it last year, I think or earlier this year, and NFTs, uh, there's a company called Ecomi, OMI is their ticker, I believe, bought a ton of that at like one-tenth of a penny. And I rolled that up and I really liked what they were doing with their NFT licensing. I mean, these guys have crazy licensing, some of the top companies. And then I discovered Top Shot, so went on to do NBA Top Shot, big basketball fan, that was super fun. And then got into these profile picture collections just from seeing Gary Vee do it with V friends and a bunch of Twitter people. And that's where like everything changed with Shoe Dinos, of course. So, I mean, there's a huge difference between being a purchaser of NFTs and sort of watching this space and watching it unfold versus diving in and having a project and, you know, really what's essentially creating a business around it. Uh, what, what was your thought process there? Why, why did you, what is, what brings you to breach from that perspective of sort of watching the industry unfold and wanting to dive in and do it yourself? Yeah. So I was never big on day trading. Like a lot of people flip NFTs, but I'm more of a, like a long-term visionary. So my whole thing is, you know, I've still never sold any NFTs I bought because I, I just bought a bunch of blue chip ones and I'm holding them. A lot of them are up, but some of them are down, but I'm always that branding kind of route. Like that's what I did with Jersey champs because drop shipping was very popular at the time I started, but you really had no brand or business around it. It was just centered around shipping products from China, making money and then moving on to the next store. But for me, you know, I like building the IP up. So I wanted to start a brand with Chibi Dinos and that's what I think we've done pretty well. We've, we only started two months ago and we got some big partnerships in the books. Tell me the origin story. Where, where did this come from? How does it, how did it come to be? Yeah, it's pretty funny. So I didn't even know what a chibi was. I don't even know if you know what they are. I don't know what a chibi is. <laughs> yeah, so they're like popular little characters in, I believe, Japan. They're like short characters with chubby arms, basically. So someone presented the idea to me, and I was like, I love that. I know Asian market's huge in crypto and NFTs. Let's do it. Let's combine it with dinosaurs and jerseys. 
So that's what we did. Basically, <laughs> I didn't even what, know what they were. Where did the dinosaur aspect come from? Uh, I wanted to do a dinosaur NFT, but because um, no one had done that at the time, I believe. And then once he brought the chibi idea, I was like, I love that because Asian market's huge in crypto. Yes, very much so, and also in sort of the uh, the pay for play aspect of things, which you know I'm sort of uh, eager to hear what is the you know what's the future looking like for for Chibi because it's so much more than and just to give like the audience you know who's not super into this NFT world a little bit of background for so many people it's really not a reality to them sort of what NFTs are turning into you know they might know crypto punks they might understand like the profile pictures but could you give in your own words a little bit of an idea of you know what is this space turning into where are all these different verticals and and uh areas that the nft community is sort of starting to encompass and develop and innovate around yeah it's been evolving so quick um the real boom was the 2d profile pictures which is what chibi dino started as which is just basically a 2d picture of a animal or whatever the nft is and they call them profile pictures because people make them their profile picture on social media then it sort of evolved now it's heading towards 3d and metaverse um, you need a 3D character to integrate with the metaverse. So you can use that character in the game and the metaverse, the two big companies right now are sandbox and Decentraland, but there's some huge ones coming up. And the whole idea with the metaverse is it's like a digital world where you're going to have your own place. You're going to have your own assets and you're going to play games with each other. It's similar to the movie ready player one, if you've seen it. Yeah. And it's almost, you know, for others, it's, it's like, essentially a matrix in a way it's, it's having a, an individual person within a, a virtual reality. Yeah. So right now it's in the primary, like preliminary stages where you're controlling the characters, but down the road, I'm assuming, you know, VR, AR integrations, you're going to be in the metaverse yourself. So that's going to be interesting to play out, see how that plays out. Uh, yeah. It's super interesting watching this technology unfold because it's all developing so rapidly and it's going to start to, you know, even this NFT technology, there's sort of the combination between, uh, you know, digital art and the crypto. It's sort of like, there's so many different types of technology that are developing to this very ripe, you know, it's this perfect moment where all these things are starting to come together. So like you said, VR is sort of right around the corner to come into this world. And for also for the audience that maybe has not done their research on this metaverse is, uh, even though it's in a preliminary stage already, you know, remarkably huge, like you can buy real estate in this, uh, in the sandbox. I think I saw real estate selling for, you know, at the lowest is in the six figures. Um, you could probably correct me if I'm wrong there, Sean, but it's, you know, it's like virtual real estate is already worth more than a lot of real estate in the United States, uh, you know, where you could have an actual home and land and such. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. We tried buying some, some real estate in sandbox and I think a three by three tile was like 40 grand or something just to put your logo on it. Um, and there's concerts. I think Snoop Dogg just did a concert sandbox. All the drops on sandbox are selling out super fast. Um, they're partnering with major companies. I think walking dead has a huge plot of land there. And then there's that whole play to earn thing like Axie Infinity's doing, which yes. is $2 billion. I mean, it's insane play to earn stuff. I think that's going to be a big component too. Tell, tell me what you know about Axie Infinity. All that I could really tell uh, the audience is, you know, you could think of 
there's been video game dynasties and gaming companies that have been at it for years and years and years, decades, making some of the most popular titles you've ever heard of. Uh, and out of nowhere, it comes Axies within the past couple of years and is now like in the top five of all gaming companies and revenue earned, which is just giving you a brief glimpse into the world that we're entering with this NFT marketplace and pay to play and how large this can be. What, what do you know about that? And, and what sort of your, what are your feelings on it? Yeah, I actually never played it. I got a buddy who invested about a hundred grand into it. And the way he explained it to me was he's earning money back from the game. And after I think he said like eight months or something, he'll be profitable and the rest is just all profit. And I know they hit the Asian market super hard. Um, they're changing people's lives in the Philippines and other countries because of the money component, you know, in countries like that it adds up quick. So people are making life-changing money over there. So it was fascinating to see, you know, what they pulled off. I didn't even know about it until a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've only heard about it. I think uh, just last week, one of my, one of my close friends been telling me about the same story. People in the Philippines are, they're making life-changing money and spending, you know, the, you could buy an Axie team for like, I think 0.3 ETH or something like that, which in the United States, that's, you know, let's call it, let's call it thousand dollars for round numbers. But in the Philippines, like that can be, uh, you know, a couple months worth of salary at a decent job. So uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty remarkable what, you know, how much that's impacting their economy and how much, you know, again, it's just like the scale of crypto and these NFTs to, uh, globalize the value of, of, uh, the different coins and, and really prop people up and, create so much opportunity back to chibi dinos where for you know what was it like on the mint day for you experience oh, man that? yeah i was so nervous i was uh i had a bottle of alcohol like i was drinking before <laughs> I, I was so nervous man. what were you drinking uh 1942 okay good With to know orange juice yeah um yeah i was freaking out but it was a week of marketing, 15 hours a day, doing everything, making sure everything went smoothly. Because I was one of the first kind of people in my space to do an NFT. So I was sort of the test dummy, I think. And then, you know, hundreds of people after me launched theirs. But yeah, it was nerve wracking. But we ended up selling out in 18 minutes. And I was I was like, holy crap, you know, $2 million in 18 minutes. That's crazy. Yes. So, yeah, it honestly changed my life, my whole perspective on things. Like it was crazy. What was, uh, tell me what 15 hours a day of marketing looks like. Just figuring everything out. Cause I have never done an NFT launch or helped out with one. So I was figuring out how to grow the Twitter, how to grow the, I've never used discord before NFT. So I had to hire people for that, pay for NFT growth, line up influencers, um, make sure the website was working. I pretty much had to oversee everything and there was a lot going on. So yeah, it was just a bunch of stuff, but luckily with the e-com background and the marketing stuff, you know, kind of carried over, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's a combination of these different skills. And, you know, I, I am curious a little bit more about this mint day because uh, not to, I'm not trying to shill my own, but I, I worked on a project, you know, towards the very last days before they launched and they essentially started, they conceived the idea and 17 days later, this project launched and it was a very similar uh, you know, extremely anxious moment, you know, leading up to the mint, making sure everything's going right. And as I got under the hood and sort of started looking into the components of what was going into it, it's, it's 
you know, building a business like overnight and, you know, you have people working on the smart contract, you have people doing the marketing, you have discord management, you have community management, you have, uh, you know, people looking at business development and how can you improve the community and uh, where can you take this project? How did you develop these sort of executive skills to manage that kind of group and that kind of team? Yeah. So that's the one thing I didn't have experience on because Jersey champs was super lean. Uh, the most full-time employees we ever had was one or two, I believe, but now we have 15 at Chibi Dino. So I had to, I had to basically hire someone that had experience in growing teams and that really saved me. So he brought on, you know, we call it the unity, which is 10 people. Um, and they make all, we decide on all the decisions. We have a, um, smart contract set up where four of us have to agree on any big decision, big purchase. Uh, Discord, I found through my Instagram. So the cool thing about when I built up my Instagram following is I could post any story and be like, who's the best person for this position? I'll get tons of responses and then I'll, I'll just hire that person. Um, so yeah, basically I had to outsource everything I wasn't experienced at and I just focused on the marketing and the partnerships. How do, is, is there any conflict for you in doing so? You know, I know some people, you know, when they're in a position like that, they want to be able to do everything they want and they take a lot of pride in being able to sort of conquer these challenges. It sounds like, you know, you understand sort of where you can contribute the most value and you want to bring on people that, that can uh, deliver on the other side. Well, what's that? Is there any conflict there for you? Or is it a pretty easy decision to bring other people in that know what they're doing? Yeah. I mean, I like to know the basics. So I'll like to do everything myself at first, just so I can at least understand the basics. And then if it's too tedious or, you know, it'll take too long for me to learn, that's when I like to outsource it. Cause then my time's better spent doing the marketing kind of things. And, you know, like the, the customer service, like managing the discord, these people are on the chat all day. I don't have time to be, you know, responding to everyone 24 seven. So I think stuff like that is good to outsource. What have you learned about Discord community management? Um, basically, people freak out in the NFT space a lot about the floor <laughs> price. So we were dealing with that at first. Um, FUD, if you will. What's up? The FUD in the yeah, chat. Yeah, a lot of FUD before Mint. I mean, every project has some sort of FUD. Even after Mint, you, you know, you saw what happened with Mechaverse, how their floor price was 7 ETH or whatever. Now it's 2 ETH because... Apparently they all look the same. Um, so yeah, we just had to deal with that. Honestly, we haven't had FUD in like a month though. So we've been chilling, just get a full team on there that knows what they're doing, compensate them nicely and they'll do the rest. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I'm also super curious here. You mentioned that you have a smart contract within your team. Uh, whose idea was that? Where does that come from? Yeah. So it's like a, it's a wallet. So all the secondary sales go to this wallet. There's 10 of us on there and four of us have to sign off to make a big purchase or to send people money. And that was the guy I brought on. His name is Will. He's got experience running, running teams and stuff, former military guy. So super organized, which I'm not. So he was a great hire. That's awesome. I mean, I, I really love that idea. It's sort of interesting. Uh, again, sort of this NFT world, people are developing in all sorts of different ways, even to the point of having, you know, your internal company, sort of governance uh, regulated by it. So that's very fascinating. I'm also curious to get your take on how some projects are, you know, taking their development to another level by building what's essentially an economy around 
their NFTs and their projects, you know, take CyberKongs with their banana tokens. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What do you, how, how do you feel like that may or may not relate to what you're working on at Chibi? Yeah, I've been looking into that. I mean, what they pulled off is crazy. If you own a CyberKong, you're making like 100, 150K a year, supposedly. Um, that's insane. I mean, that's full-time salary right there, just holding one, one NFT in your wallet. Um, but FTX announced last week that they're not allowing NFTs that uh, reward their um, secondary sales to holders. So that created a lot of FUD with certain projects that are giving their secondary sales back to holders. So we've been looking into the legalities of it because um, we don't want to get in any trouble or anything, but we're definitely open to the idea of it. Yeah. What, what is your take on legally where the NFT market is? You know, it's, it's in a way it's a wild bull run right now. Like there, anything can happen. There's major developments all the time. Do you have any concerns about uh, future regulations or legislation that might impact sort of what's been going on up until this point? Yeah, I've been asking my lawyer about it. I've been reading articles. I know the one thing a lot of articles are mentioning are the factionalizations of expensive NFTs that could be considered a security. And you know, now with this recent update about the secondary sales going back to holders, which could be considered a security. So we're just going to avoid both of those for now until SEC comes out with any updates. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it really is like the wild west in this world right now, and anything could happen. Is there anything uh, back to Mint Day real quick? There's one question I want to ask you. Is there anything that you wish you had done different leading up to that? Oh, we took a major L. I mean, we only posted the Mint link in our Discord. It was like a private link. I thought it was going to be on the main site so everyone could just mint it. So after we minted out, I got like hundreds of DMs on Twitter, on Instagram on Facebook that they couldn't mint. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So we probably would have sold out in a couple of minutes. So I definitely regret that. Well, I, I'd say I don't regret it. I was pretty late to that. I must've minted like uh 12 minutes after launch or something. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful that I didn't make it that far. <laughs> Glad you got one. Yeah. And to give uh, some perspective, it was actually my first NFT that I ever purchased or minted. Um, and, you know, I sort of, I just had some, I was setting up the account, you know, at the time that it was, it dropped and getting everything ready and just sort of throwing my hat in the ring to try to, you know, just get into this world. And for anyone who sort of not, doesn't have NFTs yet, like the best thing you can do is just go get one. It might be, a, you might win, you might lose whatever, you know, just get some uh, skin in the game. Uh, you mentioned that you've never sold any of your NFTs and that you're just holding some of these blue chip ones. What makes you hold uh, compared to sell? Oh, uh, I mean, two main reasons. The first reason is I have no idea how they're going to be taxing these. And I don't want to <laughs> be like selling hundreds of NFTs and then having to figure that out in April. That's very smart. Um, the second reason is I just don't, I don't have time to be day trading. Like I'd rather put my focus into growing the company. So when I buy something, it's based off the founders um, and the community. So if I like the founder, like Tom Bill, you just dropped one. I didn't get one, but that's one I easily would have got if I could, you know. How do you, uh, what's sort of your judgment uh, philosophy when it's looking at founders, looking at projects? What kind of things stand out to you? Um, past success plays a big role. Um, what's their involvement in the crypto NFT space in general? Because you could tell if celebrities just coming in for a cash grab, like they've never talked about crypto NFTs before. So I avoid those. And yeah, just the team, like what have their developers done? What are their 
you know, core members done. It's really not too hard if you look at it that way. I think people buy the hype too much and they're not really focused on team aspect. Got it. Yeah, I think that's, I, I agree. I think that's really great advice. Really great. Uh, has anything surprised you in the Chibi community that you didn't expect since launch? Um, that's a good question. I mean, we, we've got some big holders. We've had several people buy a couple hundred. So that was pretty surprising. I mean, working with De'Aaron Fox has been joining the discord. Like after his games, he'll just come in and say hi to everyone. That's pretty cool. Um, and I can't announce our recent partnerships yet, but you'll see, we got some big players that are about to, uh, about to come in hard. That's very exciting. I mean, uh, it's interesting to see how many different directions, you know, it's going with, you know, like physical merch, uh, these sort of community access and, you know, all these partnerships with different organizations. Where does that all come from? You know, is that just to distinguish against the competition, against other projects out there, or what's really driving that, uh, you know, sort of multi-variable growth? Yeah, it's definitely the team. I mean, we got one guy named Jeremy who has been bringing in amazing brand partnerships. Um, we're talking to some huge companies, big NBA players. Um, even talking to Hasbro about a Monopoly collaboration. And that's through cold emails mainly, actually. And I picked up that skill when I was selling. I forgot to mention I sold PPE in between Jersey Champs and NFTs. And that was a lot of B2B. So I learned how to draft cold emails, how to find their emails. So that's been helping us reach some big companies as well. I just want to dig in there. Uh, is there anything, you know, you, you learn from doing and from, you know, practicing and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Is there any influences for you or books or authors or individuals that have sort of given you that, you know, helped you learn the space or, or master some of those skills? Uh, recently, Alex Hormozy, I've been watching all his YouTube videos. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. Yeah, What's he Alex, do? Uh, he owns a, um, so he started a gym and then it just did wildly successful. He scaled it to four gyms. And then from there, he just started helping other gyms market. So he turned that into like a SaaS company, you know, doing like $85 million a year now with all his, um, companies in that portfolio. Wow. That's incredible. What is it about, uh, about that, that sort of caught your eye and made you want to, uh, you know, sort of understand his success? Yeah. His main thing is just delivering such a successful product or service that it's like super hard to say no to it and then growing the brand from there. So it re really just was improving the offer so much, which is what I try to do at Chibi Dinos is I want to give so much value to holders that it'd be like stupid to say no, I'm lost. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're doing so many things that other companies aren't doing and we're partnering with NBA players, which not a lot of people are doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been super helpful. I think. Now I hope this isn't putting you on the spot, but I'm curious to hear after, after what you just said there about creating so much value that it's hard to say no to. It's like, what is the, if you're, you know, sort of elevator pitch Chibi Dinos, like what key things do you touch on? Um, I mean, we touch, you got to be careful with the wording, right? Because you don't want to just be like, yeah, you're going to make 
make a profit if you buy this, but absolutely. Um, you know, we touch on the community aspect every day. We got people talking about, you know, their own lives. Like we're building a family here. We're doing in-person meetups. Not a lot of people are doing that. Like I want to see people face to face. I want to learn more about them because Chibi Dinos is in my eyes, like a huge networking opportunity too, because I'm meeting all these holders and they're doing other stuff and I'm interested in it. And you know, there's other business opportunities there. Um, I just had a networking event two days ago and I met a ton of them and, you know, we're doing other stuff outside of Chibi Dinos. So that's super cool. And, um, you know, soon we'll be doing some cool integrations. I can't really, I feel bad. I can't really say them, but no, really cool stuff plan basically. How do you determine the roadmap and, you know, what to drop when, and, you know, you have all these things sort of in the oven. It's like, when do you know that they're ready to, to come out to the world and reveal it to the public? Yeah. First roadmap I made myself, actually, I just studied the top hundred projects, literally went on their website, went on their discord, took a bit of everything out of my own stuff. So that was the first roadmap, which we completed. And then the second roadmap we made as a team and um, just basically things people get excited for, you know, just keep the community engaged. What's uh, what's the most exciting thing to you? Um, probably the game that's going to take a while, but if we pull that off, right. I mean, that's huge. I mean, you saw what Axie did. So that's very exciting to me. And we have the 3d models coming out next month. I believe we partnered with a company called Dreamview, and they made, um, stuff for hot wheels for bleacher report. I believe they just signed some big car brands. So super established company. That's incredible. Tell me a little bit more about that game. Like, where do you see that going? Do you see that being like the long-term foundation of the community or do you see there being sort of that just one aspect? I think it'll be a major revenue driver for us, which we can use to market the company further. And if we pull it off, you know, it should be seven, eight figures of revenue coming in, which if we put that back in the company. We could pretty much sign any, any NBA player in the world and, you know, partner with huge companies. So, that leads me to my next question, which, you know, you said early on here that you're a future visionary and, you know, you're looking long-term, where do you really see this thing? And let's say even long-term in the NFT world is like two years, you know, it's like, where do you see this? Yeah. Two years is an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I checked a week or two ago, we were the 340th in all time sales on the secondary wow. market which isn't bad, but you know, in my eyes, we got to be top 10, top 25 within two years. I think we could do it. So you're excited to just be in that, uh, get to the top level of the secondary market. Where do you see the whole project going? Where do you see some of these, you know, like, what would you like the ultimate outcome of this to be? I mean, I'm sure for you, especially the amount of time, energy, effort that you're pouring into this, you know, there's, there's more at stake. There's a bigger vision here that, that you're driving towards. It's like, what do you see that becoming? What do you, what would you like it to be? Not so much. What can you promise the world, but right. what, where would you like it to go? I mean, I want to be a nationally known brand. I want it to be up there with some of the biggest cartoons, you know, Pokemon really set the bar. I mean, who knows what they're worth, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just just in a huge brand, like bigger than Jersey Champs. I think we could do that for sure. And uh, yeah. Become a huge brand, have a ton of impact. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing to look at other, you know, companies like Pokemon out there who if they want to do an NFT launch, they'd, you know, probably be a billion dollar day for them. 
<laughs> yeah, they would definitely. I think the biggest one ever was Mutant Apes, and they did a hundred million. So yeah, Pokemon probably beat that. Yeah. Are there any other projects out there that you gain inspiration from? I mean, Board Apes and CryptoPunks are the OGs, so I'm always looking at what they're doing. Um, let me think what else. Gary V. I I mean, I've been looking up to him since I was in college, so I got to pick up a V friend still, actually. They're just so expensive now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Is there any, uh, are there any projects out there or any like innovations that you're seeing that you think other people are just completely sleeping on? Mm, I mean, it was cyber Kongs at first, but then now with this new legal stuff, I don't know if that's going to be become a play. Uh, Axie Infinity set the bar in the play to earn game. There's a company called, uh, there's a project called Big Time coming out. Have you heard of that one? I haven't heard about that one. What, what is it? It's going to be the first uh, big RPG NFT game. So I'm, I'm probably going to invest pretty heavily there. The founder of the Centraland, his name's Ari, founded this company, okay. this project. So that's going to be huge, I think. I would definitely look into that one. Wow. Okay. What is a, for you, like in this NFT space, you know, I know I've, I'm, I've, this has been like rapid fire the whole time. I'm actually loving this here, <laughs> answering these questions so quick. Um, in the entire NFT space, there's so many unknowns and we're just seeing some of the innovations that people are using with blockchain. And mm -hmm. sort of like when you take a step back and you look at other applications of blockchain, is this something else that you've thought about? Um, you know, again, being, you know, self-described future visionary, it's like what other applications of blockchain, is there anything that you've thought through or imagined or, or foresee coming down the line? Yeah, I mean, I think every major company is going to have to integrate NFTs at some point. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're doing. You know, Facebook's even changing the name of the company to tie in with the metaverse. Really? So that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, but I think the concerts is cool. Um, if we can figure out a way to have concerts and you enter the concert as your favorite NFT character. I mean, that's sick. I would love that. And you could type to everyone. Uh, I could see that being a big thing. Um, I think the gaming, once these companies start dropping their games, it's going to be interesting to see if that picks up steam or if it's just like a hype, hype thing. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, I, I would have a hard time seeing this being like a passing phase. You know, it's like, why would you want to, you know, it almost makes, it almost makes other games look like they're in the, you know, horrifically in the past. Like, why would you want to play, call of duty as just some random character when you could be like an nft in the metaverse you know yeah it's gonna be interesting to see if the nft games will take over all these major game publishing companies that's ultimately like what i you know uh, my interest in, in blockchain and bitcoin you know started back in when i first learned about it in 2014 and sort of seeing how crypto was able to uh create a lot of you know it's it's disrupting the finance world. It's disrupting banking. It's disrupting, uh, you know, one of the largest institutions that, you know, sort of held, you know, our civilization together. And now we're looking at ways where blockchain is starting to influence other areas. So like, you know, starting with art and now into gaming and, you know, it's like, there's so many things that's the coolest thing to, about NFTs to me is that people are just figuring out ways to incorporate blockchain technology with new innovations and, and ways for it to impact our daily lives and, uh, and ultimately change, you know, the way that we interact with reality, like we we're talking about in the Philippines, you know, people are having earning life changing money playing games, uh, you know, which 
in the Philippines, you know, like 20 years ago, nothing close to that opportunity could have ever existed. You could ever imagine that existing. So it's, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable to see on, you know, watching this unfold and especially being able to talk to someone like you, who's, you know, deeply involved with, you know, sort of this development here. Is there anything that, you know, the people on your team toss around ideas or, uh, you know, innovations that, you know, they'd like to see come to light or would you like to incorporate into the Chibi Dino world? Uh, we just want to basically in every major city have a spot where, you know, holders can go hang out, get discounts of bars on restaurants and stuff. So we're in the process of setting all that up. So whenever, you know, you're traveling, you can get a little hookup discount, maybe some freebies. So we just want to make everything, you know, personal, grow the family out. And uh, yeah, if we do that and focus on building the brand, I think we'll be in good shape. It's pretty remarkable to see just the power of, of building a network around these, uh, you know, again, it starts with profile pictures, but, you know, it's building ultimately a community and a uh, group of people that can actually have, you know, you, you can build opportunity in the real world. It's pretty crazy. Is that what you expected when you launched this or is this something that sort of came out of uh, just the developments? No, I honestly didn't expect this community to form this strongly at all. I mean, we got people in Singapore, um, people in like Africa on payroll. It, it's crazy. Like we're international, like we're not just in the U.S. So it's, it's really cool. It's amazing. What would you say to somebody who's sort of uh, looking at this, maybe hearing this and, and hearing all these terms for the first time, metaverse, minting, you know, understanding like how much more there is to the NFT world. What would you say to someone who's sort of skeptical about where this is going and, and, you know, if they should get involved or not? There's a ton of people skeptical. I mean, I was skeptical for months. I didn't really understand it. It take, took me a while. So it's, it's not an easy thing to pick up just in a day. You kind of have to study it for, for a while, in my opinion. Um, Gary Vee is a good person to follow. Alex Becker is a good person to follow. So just watch some videos, you know, go on Twitter. NFT space is huge on Twitter. Just go hashtag NFT or search NFT in the search bar and you'll see all the top tweets for the day. I actually do that daily because I learned so much. Um, joining these Twitter spaces, I'm learning a ton, meeting some great people. Uh, yeah, just get your feet wet. I mean, spend a couple hundred on an NFT that you like the project, you like the founders and, you know, have fun with it. Don't invest life savings, you know, but... <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, any other, so it's, I can tell that you definitely a master sort of the self-education game on the internet. Is there any, do you have any like tools, tactics, tips, things that you do that actually, you know, help you find these sources and sort of get to the root of some of this content? I mean, YouTube's the best. I'd, I'd shoot YouTube over most college education systems any day of the week. Um, yeah. YouTube. I used to watch tons of courses but I, I still think YouTube's better than most courses too, to be honest. So uh, YouTube and books, it's all you really need. Any uh, top books for you that, you know, you can tell uh, I'm, I'm sort of an avid reader. Very yeah, much enjoy that. Uh, wow. I'd love to hear your top ones first. Hey, you know, there's so many great ones. Usually all my top ones are up on the top shelf here. You know, it kind of depends on what the, uh, what the situation calls for though. But you know, what you find in books is that there's, you know, there's so much overlap, you know, you don't even realize when you look at like a, a bunch of books sitting on the shelf, they could be from different genres, different time periods, authors that never met each other. And they actually end up exchanging a lot of the same ideas. And, uh, you know, uh, especially when, it, when you start to look into psychology, persuasion, 
Uh, you can read biographies of successful people. You start to see all of these sort of underlying common characteristics. So, I mean, for me, I'd say my, my favorite books are usually biographies of, of people who have, you know, dominated in life and had an unbelievable version of their simulation. And then if not that, then reading about, you know, uh, from authors who have been able to figure out ways to improve their lives or, you know, uh, create massive success, you know, uh, persuasion and psychology being a major area, you know, if you can figure out sort of those rules of advertisement as advertisement, learning about like sort of the origins of marketing, all sorts of things that sort of, uh, get me excited and make me sort of interested in diving through those books. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm more of an audiobook guy. I wish I could, uh, read some more. But uh, I like I'm with it. You, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I just discovered audiobooks like earlier this year, oddly enough, you know, after spending so much time invested in reading and, you know, after a while, you just get tired of listening to music and even some podcasts, you kind of know what you're getting into. So it's, uh, you know, audiobooks, I'm right there with you. You can listen on like 1.5 and or even mm-hmm. 2x speed if you're smart enough. And, uh, you know, you can go through massive volumes in a very short period of time doing like everyday activities. Yeah, I'm not at 2x yet, but yeah, I'll do like one. Yeah, neither am I. <laughs> I'll do 1.3 to 1.5, depending on who's reading it. And yep. especially the long car rides, that's where I feel like I retain the most because I'm fully invested. But uh, yeah, I like Ray Dalio Principles. Uh, Tim Ferriss has some good books that, that I like. Gary Vee's book, uh, I forget what it was called. I think it was a yellow one. I remember reading that one in like right after, right after college and that one really impacted me. It was about power of networking on social media. So those were some good ones that helped me out. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's really interesting to see again, you know, it's like you've been able to figure out the social media game and for the listeners out there, like, what do you got? Like 3.4, 3.6 million on Instagram. Uh, 2.3 on IG and then 85 on Twitter, which I'm more proud of the Twitter actually, cause that one's hard to grow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah. It's like, that's, you know, there's, that by itself is a massive, uh, you know, sort of achievement. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of um, Scott Adams. I've actually had him on no. this podcast before. He wrote this book called How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. And, okay. you know, one of the key concepts in that book is about having a talent stack. And so it's this idea that, you know, like you could be just an author and that's like, all right, you know what I mean? But if you're an author and you are also a, surgeon and you're also uh you know into athletics or something like take whatever you want if you can combine different skill sets together uh then it sort of you know it gives you that gives you sort of an exponential opportunity for success and so you know if i were to analyze your talent stack you started with you know uh, an entrepreneurial bug being able to you know you start selling candy bars start being able you know you want to sell get active and do that sort of stuff, have that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, being able to master the social media game. And then, uh, you know, with your businesses themselves, you know, starting with physical tangible jerseys to selling over a million dollars of digital profile pictures wearing jerseys, it's sort of like, uh, the talent stack comes together. So, you know, what I see, uh, you know, in this project specifically, and part of the reason why I'm definitely holding all my chibis is because, you know, I've, I've seen your success over time and seen sort of uh, where your skill set is lining up and the way that the direction that this NFT world is going in, having the influencers, having people, having a very strong community is going to be the differentiating factor. And it's the thing that you can't buy. It's the thing that you can't, uh, 
you know, necessarily, you can't just like cheat your way through. It has to be authentic and it has to have real genuine buy-in. And every time I go into that discord, that's exactly what I see. And that's, you know, it's, you can't, you know, you can't fake that. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's so, there's like 50 products a day launched right now. I don't even think I'm exaggerating that. No, uh, I'm sure. It's, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it's more. You know? Yeah, that's just what's on the calendars. Not even all of them are on those. But um, yeah, and those are those are not like I'm not speaking for all of them, but a lot of the ones I see are not really building community. They're kind of just taking the money and then leaving people behind. And 90% of, of uh, floor prices right now are below mint, which is crazy. You know, that's way too high. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's unbelievable. I didn't know that stat. Well, how do you feel about the floor price? How does the floor price, you know, does that keep you up at night at all? Or is there anything that you, what's your philosophy on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't want it to be below mint because then theoretically everyone's losing money. So it's in, it's always in my mind. So I'm thinking like, how can I increase it via marketing, via partnerships, press releases, I'm always doing my best to have the demand there and get, getting people excited. But at the same time, I can't center everything around it because then I'd just be having anxiety all day. But I think over time, you know, the business will speak for itself and we'll get where we need to be. Certainly, if you can over deliver value that much, then it should be no problem at all. What is uh, related to the mint price? Very curious. How'd you land on uh, the initial offering price? Yes, yeah, so we were gonna do we were gonna do 0.08 at first, but I felt like that was too high. So then we lowered it to 0.06. Ethereum was 3,500 at the time, I believe, somewhere around there. So I thought that was pretty fair compared to where the market was at, because ar- around that time it was between like 0.06 to 0.1, I believe, most projects. And then um, as Ethereum goes up now, 0.06, 0.08 is kind of pricey, in my opinion, depending on the project, but. It depends on where Ethereum is at the time and what the uh, value is of NFT. So you just felt like it has the value and that, you know, that you'll be able to deliver that much value. Yeah. Cause we were, we were at like 0.2, I think, or a little over that. And then we had a dyno that glitched. So <laughs> we got stuck for a couple of days, but I know the early mentors, you know, felt pretty, pretty good about everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm still feeling good about everything. I, I think it's an unbelievable project that you guys are working on. I'm really excited to see like all these, you know, the developments in some of the other projects uh, that I've invested in, you know, it's like they're sort of one dimensional, you know, it's sort of like, and it looks very much the same across the board, but what I'm seeing in Chippy Dinos is very different. Uh, and so it's almost like, you know, there's, so many random benefits that start are seeming to appear and so many uh, different ideas. So the creativity of the project and just the overall roadmap, I think is really unique. And, and Hey, uh, Sean, I really commend you for what you're doing and, you know, your entrepreneurial journey up until this point has been unbelievable. And I'm really excited to see sort of where this continues to go. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely, man. Do you have any, uh, Words of advice, uh, last words for the audience, anything you'd like to leave them with? Man, if you're still here, thanks for tuning in. I'll give one last piece of advice. Um, Networking events for me personally changed my life. I remember I joined Dan Fleischman. Uh, You know Dan? Uh, I've heard of him, but I haven't, uh, I don't follow him closely. Gotcha. So he has a mastermind and I don't want to like promote this 
but like basically he has a mastermind, you know, it's a hundred grand a year to join. Um, and when I joined it, I was, I, I mean, I only had like 200 grand in my name. This was two, two years ago. So that was a lot of money for me. So I took a huge risk, flew out from Jersey to LA to go to the events and, um, completely changed my life. Cause I was one of the brokest people in the room, but I was also the youngest person there. So I, I had a lot of energy, a lot of hustle in me. So I just started learning from all these people, you know, multimillionaires. I think some of them were even billionaires. And uh, a couple of them took me under their wing and completely changed my life. Now I'm like business partners with them. So going to events changed my life. That's why I host my own free events because I always meet someone that helps my business or my personal life. And, you know, I host them every couple months and super fun. So wherever you live, try to find local events or certain ones you could fly out to would be my advice. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I go to a number of events myself and uh, I, I can echo what you said. They're very powerful opportunities to meet people and, and, you know, you'll meet some of the best people ever if you're sort of all on the same page about something and going there and exchanging ideas and backgrounds and what you do, there's tons of opportunity. What are your events? Yeah, I basically have just free, they'll always be free. I host free networking events every two months. Used to have them in Jersey. Now I live in Vegas. And uh, I'll bring in one speaker that's super successful. We just had Dan Fleischman actually a few days ago. The one before that was a guy named John Gafford who has a crazy real estate portfolio and uh, have a couple hundred people and yeah, just network and meet people and have fun. Incredible. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Sean. Where, where should people find you online? Sean Mike Kelly is my IG. If you guys have any questions, just DM me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real honor to, to have, uh, have you on here and ask you all these questions. And thank you for giving me all those answers. Really great stuff. For sure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.